In this episode of The Ziggler Show, our focus is what is and isn't working in businesses today. I polled our Ziggler audience on Facebook, which I invite you to participate in as well. You can find me on Facebook at Agent K Miller, but I'd be honored to have you give your perspectives on these weekly questions. But this time I ask business owners, what is your business? Where are you finding the most success in your business today? And where are you finding the most challenge? We got really insightful responses from businesses such as property managers, insurance brokers, food trucks, realtors, business and fitness coaches, website building and marketing, even eye surgery equipment. I think you'll gain great insight into the opportunities and challenges in the real life nitty gritty of businesses happening right now. Tom Ziegler is going to join me in just a moment and we'll hit it. Welcome everyone. I'm Kevin Miller. I host three podcasts where we have candid discussions regarding the root issues of personal change and growth. This is The Ziggler Show, a top-ranked all-time career podcast in Apple Podcasts, and our focus is growing your professional success. My Motive podcast is devoted to clarifying the reasons that drive you. And my True Life podcast is aimed at getting you fully functioning physically so your body doesn't hold you back. You can find all three shows in Apple Podcasts. Just search for Kevin Miller or go to my website, kevinmiller.co. Tom, we had Pete Vargas on the show about a year ago or so. And Pete is the you know, master of the stage, uh, advance your reach. But he talked to me offline at one point and said when he was going, this is pre-COVID. Well, yeah, so it was longer than a year ago, obviously, it was pre-COVID. And he said when he was going around doing his events all over the place, he would kind of call out his golden Rolodex and just hit up a handful of influencers, you know, eight, 10, 12 people in the area that he knew. So if he's in Nashville, he's going to, you know, hit my, uh, Michael Hyatt and Donald Miller and, and, some, and, and my dad, Dan Miller, when he was uh, in, that, in that direction take them to dinner, pay for their dinner. And then just kind of, it was kind of like a little mastermind. And he said, I don't know, I can't remember where he got the idea, but he said, I started having the premise just kind of be going around the room and say, Hey, what's working in your, I think in your business, but it might've been open-ended business and life. Or maybe he separated them out, but what's working and what's not super simple. But he says the feedback he got on those sessions you think that they had just gone to a monastery for a week and had this, you know, mind blowing experience or something like that. And primarily because of the, what doesn't work, what's not working. I mean, because we don't talk about that I mean, you don't get on social media and so, Hey, so let me tell you what didn't work in my business this week. Or, or let me tell you what didn't happen in my, you know, personal, my it didn't, didn't work. I mean, in my personal life. And uh, so it was with that kind of concept that I thought, Hey, let's just ask people, Business owners, so that's the question I posted. What's working in your business right now? Where are you finding success? And where are you finding challenge? So simple as that. And I thought, you know, I've got multiple business endeavors, you know, that I kind of have segmented. They overlap, but segmented out. But if I just take podcasting right now, I thought, hey, I'll, I'll share on that one. If I just take the podcast, I've got three shows now. I'd say that what's working is engagement. Uh, like on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, but mainly, especially Facebook and Instagram, that I started, I'll let people know this, instead of just taking a picture of a person or just kind of make it, we used to make a show graphic. Hey, Ziggler show like this one, episode 892. And you know, here's the topic. 
and we would just post it out there. It's kind of like a billboard. It didn't get any engagement at all. But if I would write a quote or, or share something personal, tons of engagement. So I started taking each show and giving it a quote. Like, oh, this is what the, it kind of trying to encompass the essence of the show or, or like the, uh, the hook of the show or something specific and put it out there like a quote. Oh my goodness. I mean, it was 10 times the engagement on that. And I was on the Ziggler Facebook page today, which has what? Five point something million people on it. Um, yeah, over 6 million. I don't even know. Likes and follow. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. So a, a ton. And the one we just, uh, the one I, uh, we posted is about a show and I, I, I made a quote out of it. And it, it's hundreds of comments. I was trying to go through. I want to respond to them. It's, it's almost untenable to do. It was shared a couple hundred or uh, uh, like 2,200 times or something like that. Anyway, so there you go. That's what's working. Now, what's interesting out of that, though, in, in like this month, our, down, our, our downloads are, have increased this month, almost 10% over last month. Don't know why. Maybe it's that. But our ranking... On iTunes, we've been sitting at number two in all-time career podcasts for almost a year, better part of a year, number two or three. All of a sudden, boom, it got knocked down to 10. You know, and then it was up to seven, and I, today it was like 13. It had no correlation. So my engagement's up, downloads are up, and yet the ranking dropped. And, you know, who knows? Tomorrow it may be – actually, it was. It, 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 hit, it hit number one a couple months ago for a couple of days, but now it's down. So I have no idea. And it's to some extent, people say, ah, the rankings don't matter. But when people, we have 90% of our people listening on Apple products or Apple platforms, uh, I'm sorry, not Apple products, but Apple platforms, about 80% are, are on Apple products. But if they're listening in Apple podcasts, if people, and you know, we know that that's still the giant behemoth and they go there and, you know, click business career is, is one of the, I think it's the first category. And if we're sitting there, I get a lot of real estate, you know, coverage there. So not being there, but again, our downloads are, so I have no idea. So there you go. How about you? Got anything working or not working? Ah, uh, well, let's see. So you told us what's working. Uh, what's not working is passivity. You know, it used to be you had these systems, you put them in play and you run and you just let them run. Um, that's not working. Hmm. It, it takes a lot more intentionality. It takes more hands on. And so I think along with you know, the changes that we've seen, if people are tone deaf to certain things, it's really got to catch the eye. You know, I think that's why the, the strategy of putting the post the way you did on social media with the quote or something interesting underneath it, it moved from just, oh, look, there's another picture to, I wonder what that's about. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just the way people are in general. So what is working is with our, with our family, our tribe, our trainers, speakers, and coaches. Uh, I've been scheduling a lot of kind of one-on-one times with uh, going live on Facebook or, you know, doing some endorsement videos or, or but really just spending extra time with, with the people one-on-one. Hey, what's going on? And so that's an engagement. And, you know, what's interesting is that 
when you get really busy and you get really in the system to where it's just one to the masses constantly, there's scale in that. And, you know, and there's a time for that. You kind of have to have that balance, but it becomes such a crutch. And then as soon as something goes sideways, if you've lost your people's people skills, you're in a real challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And so right now the people who have kind of embraced the way it is, you know, and who are not um, trying to be the, <laughs> the lightning rod out there yeah. around issues, but more the curious questioner of, Hey, what's going on in your business and your life? I think that's winning and that always wins, but I think it stands out even more now. Yeah. Uh, I spoke this week. Um, actually, it was last week because time's going by so fast. I spoke at a couple of places last week and we kind of got into the why behind the why question. And mm -hmm. this guy had a sales question. He said, Hey, I've got these high end investors, but it seems all they want is, you know, they only care about investing in things that are making money you know, a lot of money. That's all these investors care about. And I challenged him and I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, it's whenever I bring an investment, it's all about the money, how much they're going to make. And I'm like, well, have you asked them why they want to make the money? And he kind of looked at me with that, you know, the way when you, you do a certain sound and the dog tilts his head. Yeah. <laughs> why would I want to know why, what they want to use the money for? You know, because that's where the heart is, yeah. right? It's the money's a tool and what they want to use it for. That's what the heart is. And it's, and so, so we had that discussion. And so I think now what's really working right now is your, your customers, your people on your team, your family, where's their heart? Yeah. Just asking them where their heart is. And that is, that is good. You know, you mentioned things are passive things, not like we want to put that, thing into into place that process and just let it run on autopilot and it doesn't seem to be working it reminds me of the book the future is faster than you think stephen kotler and uh peter diamandis and them talking about ai and how fast things are changing and i do see that that with so many things yeah we want to put a process a concept into place and just have it work and man things are just changing and it's making us be students every day and figure out what's changing so we've got these tried and true best business practices best business business principles that you know are the same now as they've ever been you know the sales it's it's a it's a you know exchange of emotion it's a relationship and those things are never going to change but how we do it in today's world with information and ai and whatever i i see that too tom yeah the stuff that i want to man that, that worked why is that not working anymore i don't know but it's just not so go change and to your mentioning or you know to what i what i of what we did of changing that from a show graphic to a quote and the significance there i really and i felt dumb about it later i just went back and looked at other big podcasters and there's some of them that do the same thing they have huge social media and they just make a show graphic and there's no engagement um now obviously they still have big shows but obviously uh they would be well served i think to to follow suit there and so I just looked and said, man, these get so much more engagement. So I find myself doing that so often. It feels like with every endeavor, it's okay. Who's doing it right now? Because what we were doing right is not right any longer. So let's see who's doing it right and model. 
So yeah, I, man, I hear you on that. Well, I'll, we'll read through a few here and uh, see what people said. Uh, Katarzyna, she says, what's working? She's in property management and the actual uh, work, her team is working well. Her team is working well. Challenge, sales, advertising, and marketing. That feels kind of like an age old issue. I mean, there's not a lot of people. I mean, there are some out there, you know, and their problem is too much business. But generally, so many, how many of us have a business, a product, a service, and we can deliver it well, it serves people well, but we just don't have enough people there. I mean, you know that, and, and, and you know, Ziggler is about sales training, about business training, but even like with coaches, you know, you do so much coach training and that's what I've always seen. My dad showcased that to me years ago. There's so many coaches out there, people who have great acumen, they can help the person sitting across the desk or the zoom very well. They just don't do marketing. Well, they don't do business. Well, sales, advertising, marketing, and can't get enough people over there. That feels like all of it. I think that's the one of the, still one of the primary misnomers we have in business. You go back to the Michael Gerber with the E-myth and we have that entrepreneurial seizure and go, Hey, I, I could do this product or service by myself, make the profit, be control my time, uh, serve people better, all the things that we want to do. And we don't ask ourselves the question or conceptualize the fact that, wait a minute, so I'm going to go from just providing the product or service to now being a business person. Is that something I want to do? And to this aspect, I'm going to have to learn to do sales, advertising, market, or pay, have a budget to pay for that to be done. Because if we don't do that well, it doesn't matter how many, I mean, you see that every day, Tom, how many businesses, great product, great service, great coach who, could, who can help people and they're failing. They're going to go out of business because they don't know how to get people in front of them. That's all of us to a degree. Every single one of us, it's, it's just an overall um, challenge. How do we, how do we keep, it's, it's not only, you know, there's two ways to generate revenue or there's multiple ways, but we're either trying to get new clients in and growing new clients, or we want to sell more to our existing clients. And so what is the, what's the pattern? What's the system? What's the stream in which we reach out to them? Yeah. You know, what is it that we do? Um, this reminds me, you know, cause we've, it's been such an interesting time. Uh, one of our um, certified trainers, his name is, is Grant Estrade. And he has a, um, I'll just tell you about his business. Uh, he has, Laughing Buddha Nursery and local cooling farms. So he said, you know what? I'm just starting over. I'm going to go do my dream. And he started creating um, soil and mulch for, for gardeners and farmers. And then he started raising chickens. And then he started, he's got goats and he's got pigs and he's got all these different things. But he said, you know what? We're different. We're unique. This is all natural. And he does these pretty cool rotations and everything's integrated. It's almost like the way God created it. You know, it's like no habitat is only supposed to have one creature on it. It's supposed to have all the creatures. And so they're, they're doing all this stuff. And I was watching his, his uh, Facebook page, you know, and he, he has all these little videos and we're, we're moving the chickens to a new area, right? So they can free range where there's right. fresh, you know, fresh crickets. And, and then, and then he says, look at this. And he's opened up a couple of camping sites 
because people want to pay him money to come learn and observe what he's doing. Wow. And so the reason I'm telling everybody this is that what he did is he's done a couple of things. He's attached a why to it, right? So it's more sustainable. It's much friendlier on the animals, right? They've got a great life. There's not all kinds of chemicals and preservatives and things that can be harmful to us. Uh, the green impact is a lot better because everybody buys from the local market, right? This is not being shipped across with preservatives and all that stuff. And when the pandemic hit and the supply chains got interrupted, his business over, he, he got flooded because people couldn't get what they normally got. And so he got covered up. And But because he was doing it from a why, he was happy to educate people of why we're different. And I think in business, we forget that. We forget that as owners, whether we have an insurance uh, group or we provide you know, an architectural service or we're a consultant or we're a coach, we got to continually remind people of what's our why and why we're different. And so the age old marketing is a problem, but word of mouth happens when people understand our why and why we're different. And so now he's getting calls from all over, you know, I've asked him and still not capable of it yet, which is shipping across uh, state lines. I want some of his stuff, but he, the demand is too great. You are listening to The Ziegler Show and this episode on what is and isn't working in business. Next, we dig more into the benefit of people knowing the why behind your business, your product, or your service. Well, your why. So Simon Sinek is the king of that. Folks, if you haven't read Star... Actually, if you want to just type in Simon Sinek, if you haven't seen it, it's one of the most... Uh, most watched TED Talks of all time. Simon Sinek and just do start with why and you can find his TED Talk. There's millions of views. We had him on a show a long time ago and his focus was business. And to some degree, it's it's uh, it's the premise of my book, my upcoming book in a lot of ways, but with a personal, you know, a completely personal bent that you could take into business. But man, if you've got a business out there, because I still forget it, Tom, do people know the why of what I'm doing, of my business, of this business or that business? Or do they know the why? And we just forget. We know the why. It's kind of like that. What's that, that phrase of we judge people by their actions, but ourselves by our intent? That's it. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, you mentioned an insurance group. Uh, timely. Terry Johnson here. He's one of our Australia guys. And I love, I've always loved his story. He does insurance because he had a personal experience in his family of somebody dying with no life insurance and how it devastated the family. And so he went into business to help people with that. So talk about somebody, there's a why he knows his why it's a great, great story. You can imagine him sitting across the desk saying, I'm here to help you with life insurance because this is what happened to me. That's the kind of guy I want to buy a product from. So he says, we are specialist life insurance uh, brokers targeting owners of small to medium businesses. Most success is getting the job done in a matter which suits busy, busy business owners. They are all time poor, so we're efficient. So that's working. Biggest challenges are the huge amount of regulation and red tape. Uh, they turn a pretty simple job into a paperwork and compliance nightmare. 
man, I thought right away of our good friend and my co-host on the True Life Show, Dr. Randy James, and he went into practice. So he was a doctor in the Air Force, went there, did his schooling, graduated med school, and then went and did functional medicine school and all that. But he went into regular practice initially, and his testimony about how much of our, not necessarily, I mean, he's not doing the red tape and the regulatory stuff, but they had to hire people to do that. And how much of that, how much of what we pay goes into that, goes just into that regulation, but even him as a manager of a business. And, uh, you know, today he runs a business outside of insurance and got rid of it. And there are more and more doctors opting out of insurance which is difficult because that's how people expect to pay you with the insurance that they're paying for, but they're opting out just because of the headache of regulatory issues. So here he is in insurance, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that, again, they can do their product, they can do their service well. Maybe they even are doing their sales and marketing and advertising well, but the intricacies, again, of running a business, of doing the, I'm late this year on my taxes, I finally got them done. But, you know, even that, and I I pay a CPA firm, I have a bookkeeper within the firm that does everything she possibly can. And I still end up lagging on the few things that I have to get. I finally got to thank God that they pay stuff. I just see it come up my bank account. They paid the IRS X, Y, Z. And at the end of the year, I don't owe anything for the most part. Um, I, I love that, but it's still me dragging my feet on the little things. I just had some state or federal compliance thing come up that only I could do that I've ignored until now I got the final notice. And so I went today and spent, you know, five minutes doing the dumb thing, but it's just the, I don't want to do that. I want to create shows. I want to write books. How many of us, that's again, back to the business owner thing. If you're going to do it, can you deal with having wearing so many hats or paying a lot of money? And if you're paying money to people and having them do it, that's great. Delegate it, but you still got to manage them. And I'm a, that is not my skill set. Tom is managing people. Yep. I, I remember we were doing a, a business conference with Howard Partridge, our small business coach. And this lady raised her hand because this is a great way to approach this subject. She raised her hand and she said, Howard, I have a sign business. I create graphic design and signs for uh, businesses in our community, birthday parties, you know, all, you know, everything you see. And she said, but there's, there's six other people in my business in a mile, in a square mile area. How do I differentiate myself? And Howard just said, well, what's the biggest complaint uh, customers of a business like you have? And she said, well, nobody answers the phone. That's their biggest complaint. And so one of the things that, uh, you know, Terry just said, the, the biggest issue is business owners are super busy. Right. So they can't be bothered or they can't. And you just said, I'm super busy. And so what you need is for somebody to say, hey, Kevin, an hour or less, we can get this done. Right. Or 30 minutes or whatever. You don't have to worry about anything except for the list I give you. (laughs) So that is a way that you can differentiate. And so she said, well, I can do that. So she started marketing her business as we answer the phone on the second ring or within two rings or something like that. And she just put a headset on. And why is that a problem in that business? Because a lot of them are solo operators and they're running the press, they're doing the work and taking the orders at the same time. And so they just let voicemail get it. And I'm a business owner who's very busy. And guess what I think about my sign? 
Yeah. The day before. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And so that is a, that's a great way to look at it. So Terry says, Hey, we've cracked a code on dealing with super busy business people. And the other thing, the biggest challenge, boy, the good news and there's good news and bad news about his challenge, red tape and paperwork. That's a huge barrier to entry. You probably don't have to worry a lot about new competitors. True. Uh, but, and once you get really good at it, uh, you can systemize it and get faster than everybody else. Yeah. But that's a challenge, right? We, we, is we're you know, governments and things like regulations put in things that are designed to protect us, but actually probably keep, a lot of people from getting with the coverage they need. Totally. Totally. Yeah, there's been so many businesses I've gone into and realized, you know, far into it, holy smokes, no matter, no, 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 no wonder there's not so many other businesses like this. It's a hassle to get to this point. You talk about differentiating yourself though. I always, when that ever, when that topic comes up, I always think about the old cliche story of the manicure shop on one side of the biz, uh, the road doing great business, another one opens up across the road with cheaper prices. And they ask, how do we compete against that? And next week they got a sign up that says, we fix cheap manicures. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I appreciate that. But it, it's again, just kind of like that, what is your why is, are we being clear in our businesses of what sets us apart? Why choose you? And we all, again, think about all of our intentions and we use those overused words that don't mean anything on a billboard anymore of integrity and morality and ethics. And we do the job right, which is what everybody just merely expects. And everybody says, what do we do to set ourselves apart? And again, Tom, it's just, it's difficult to do that. And I find myself a lot of times afterwards, we're getting a business together going, wait a minute, we've, we have not been clear about that. Well, here's uh, Amber Hendrickson. I know I've known Amber. She was a part of my free agent Academy long time ago, probably near a decade at this point. And uh, she's also a, a relative neighbor. She actually lives in Colorado, but she says, we run a food truck and a chicken ranch. Uh, the success, building a loyal and supportive following who come out to purchase and support us. We have an amazing community and uh, are blessed to be a part of it. Struggles, raw good costs have skyrocketed beyond what we can inc increase our prices for. Our product costs have increased by 35%. Some food has seen a 110% cost increase over the past four months. Yet we can only raise our prices by 10%. It makes staying in business more and more difficult. And it was interesting, somebody, uh, John Simpson, commented to hers, to her, and he says, Amber Henderson, I think it might be a mindset issue. I just ate at a place yesterday that raised its price $3 on a burger. I still ate there, and I will again. And so I assume he's you know, attesting to if it's quality, uh, and hopefully everybody's prices are going to have to go up. But man, that is very real deal. I got, I had some friends tip me off on a Kickstarter business a couple of weeks. Ah, it's probably been a couple months ago and it was a new mug that heats itself, right? So there's a real popular one. Well, I'll, I'll finish the story with that one. So it was a, but it was a new, new company. They knew them. And just based on that, and it was, you know, it stays hotter, hot, longer and all this stuff. I put money in, it was like a hundred and 10 bucks or something like that and got all their marketing and things are getting better. And ultimately they came and said, we've, we've killed it. Our product costs have just continued to skyrocket. Even as this campaign campaign has been going to where it is just not feasible at this time. Uh, real interesting. So I, and I actually, my uh, parents, 
when I was at their place, they had showed me their mug, a cool mug that they were proud of. And they actually used for 48 days, Dan and Joanne Miller. They have 48 days logo on the side of them. I think give them for gifts. And at the time I had said, no, I didn't want one. Cause I had bought one. I was waiting for it to come. Well, I let them know afterwards. I said, Hey, can I get a deal on one of those mugs? And they sent me one. Uh, it's the Ember E M B E R. So it sits on this little platform and it's got an app on my phone. Goofiest thing, it seems like. Seriously, we can't drink coffee without having it attached to an app. Yes, my coffee mug is attached to an app on my phone. But I can set the temperature, which I set mine at nuclear. And it keeps it actually keeps it at 145 degrees. That's the max. And it keeps it there for well over an hour. Because I love to sip very slowly for a long time, very hot coffee. So I end up going to the microwave. Uh, over and over. And I don't like that because I feel like it changes the taste. I'm that much of a snob. And so it's, it's cured it, but it's even that they're over a hundred bucks or so. So there's my, my story, my coffee mug story, but just on that, that I think right now we're seeing a lot of people I know with construction right now, people up in our area, I think across the country, but I know up in our area, I mean, stuff's going through the roof cost wise because lumber is so expensive. So again, you know, there's another business issue, Tom, as you know, you're going along. Well, like to her being passive, you're going along, things are working and they can't control that. And all of a sudden, boom, their cost, she says overall 35%. That's, that's significant. It's everywhere. Uh, we just had our business conference last week and, uh, had breakfast with a guy who runs a plumbing group and the plumbers are putting through their union, they're probably gonna get a $21 an hour raise. Oh, wow. Wow. Which means I'm gonna be paying that much more the next time I hire an electrician. Yeah, and they were in the um, uh, like Midwest, like Ohio, Chicago, kind okay. of that area. And then in Florida, uh, another guy there, um, I think they're starting people they come in, it's an outdoor service uh, type company. They, it's called soft wash, um, like pressure washing, but use chemical, it's awesome. Um, but I, I don't know, <clears throat> I don't know if he was teasing or if he was telling me the truth, but they're doubling their starting uh, salary. Wow. Doubling. Wow. Yeah. And the reason that, and then the week before I spoke out or two weeks ago in Asheville, North Carolina, with the, with the group of PEOs, and these are uh, companies that co-employ. So they work with small and medium-sized businesses, and they take over the, the payroll and HR and legal and all that stuff for your yeah. staff. And their number one issue was they can't hire. Their, their customers can't hire people because they won't come to work. Wow. And that has to do with unemployment and special COVID stuff that's going in. So uh, I remember in college, uh, Dr. Garnett uh, studied at London School of Economics, brilliant guy. And he was explaining economics in a very simple way. He said, look, people uh, may not be highly educated, but they're not stupid. So if somebody's making $40,000 a year doing staying at home, they're not going to go back to work for 35,000 a year. <laughs> yeah. it's like, yeah. They may not be, you know, and probably the more intellectual they are, the more they're going to stay at home. Yeah. Right. Cause it doesn't make any sense. And so all of our supply chain, supply chain is a huge issue. 
I was talking to a friend. He had a, a beam that supports his house. And it's like a, I don't know how big it is, Kevin, but it's like a timber that's, it, it's probably like 18 by 18. I mean, it's massive, 14 inches by 14 or 18 by 18. And I said, how much would that cost? And he said, well, even if you could afford it, it would take a year to get it. Goodness. Goodness. So think about that. You're, yeah. you're trying to build something and... I think lumber's gone up, what, three times or five times in general? Yeah. It's crazy. Well, that's a real issue. That's a real issue. So here, here, this is interesting. I own a wood mill. Uh, When I built my house, bought a wood mill, most of the interior, a lot of our furniture and, and, uh, gosh, our deck and our front porch roof and everything I've done from my wood mill. Cut the the trees down. We cut the dead trees down, uh, standing dead, and I make stuff out of them. My lumber's, you know, free for the most part. Now, if I need, you know, plywood or something like that, I still would buy stuff here and there. But I talk about a business opportunity. I mean, there's a lot of people who have wood mills. And they'll go and, and do custom wood for people, cut wood off their property. And, and there's people that do that. But right now, I mean, talk about an opportunity. And I'm just, I just am struggling to take the time to do it. You know, I've got two sons. One of them's just now driving. Uh, and they know how to do it. But, uh, man, I thought, what a, what a great opportunity. I even thought about putting something out or just trying to find, you know, somebody around town who would be interested in doing it. I own this, you know, expensive wood mill. Would they be interested in doing something and including my boys in it? Because it seems like, seems like a good opportunity uh, when you can, you can go into the National Forest out here and buy a permit, cheap, 15 bucks, something like that, and cut wood and mill it. Um, eh, be interesting seeing there's a, there's a pivot opportunity. Yeah, and I would say for Amber, I'm kind of agreeing with John Simpson on raising that price. I, mm-hmm. I, I think uh, it's just going to be across the board until the supply chain equals out. Yeah. Uh, and that's not even talking about our money supply and how much we printed. I'm not even, yeah, yeah. Economics wise, I don't even go there. I'm yeah. not that smart. Me neither. I'm hoping you wouldn't. <laughs> so we're not going there. But yeah. supply chain and demand are two things that are a major challenge, and that's causing shortage, and that's causing. Uh, yeah, I heard your phone there. Okay, uh, good deal. Hey, wait, I'll go on to the next one. So Renee. Schultz here. She says she's a a retail realtor and is restore and restoring homes. The most successful thing right now is helping sellers navigate through what is their best offer to take. Just because buyers may offer the most money doesn't mean it's the wisest choice. And her biggest challenge is helping buyers negotiate the best terms so they have a real shot at getting the house they want uh, that is in their price point. And I don't know, I just, you know, it's not my area of interest to keep up with real estate across the country, Tom. Maybe you know more. I know you got a lot of realtors involved with Ziegler. I, in our area, in Colorado right now, I've got friends who are realtors and they went through such a boom. And I went through, you know, friends selling their homes and getting cash prices offered. I got one, it was like 200 grand above appraisal. Uh, it just you know, nuts stuff. So that happened. And now though, uh, I met with my buddy, Todd, it's been a couple of weeks. And at that time he said, there's just no homes for sale. We just, we're, we're, we don't have any, we're the people are trying to build, but there are no homes for sale. I've got a daughter in Gunnison, Colorado, who just simply wants to move into a nicer apartment and there's no apartments. Uh, they're bringing, they've got a college there and they've, it's like a, a community push drive to figure out 
they don't have any places for these kids to come back to school uh, or, or that are going to be coming back for and even for summer summer help I think out there so I don't know again if that's across the board but man that's a big deal which again and you look at all these things you know why are the prices doing what they are I'm not an economist why is real estate doing what it is at least in some areas I don't I don't know but oh my goodness talk about causing us all to continue. Like you said, none, none of us can be passive. Do you know about real estate? Is that a, is this an across the nation thing or is this just segmented areas? This is an around the world thing. Uh, it's happening everywhere. Uh, and it's really an interesting thing. One of the things that's happened, and this is what I've studied in, in regards to writing the book, is that people have left the super high density, high priced inner city markets New York, Chicago, San Francisco, and they've left for, you know, a better lifestyle, you know, lower price, lower cost of living, everything else. But what happened, and I mean, this isn't all of it, but this is part of it. Uh, people sell their place in, in San Francisco or New York or one of these high price markets anywhere in California. And then they move to Texas or Florida. And then all of a sudden, they can afford a house that's 50% bigger yeah. for half as much. And then they're like, you know what? I still might keep my apartment in the city. And then maybe I'll buy that vacation home too. And so you have kind of this redistribution of funds where it's buying two or three properties instead of tied up in one. And then people moving two places that didn't have a lot of inventory to begin with. And then the supply chain is interrupted. So we can't keep up with demand. Uh, my daughter, uh, when she bought her house, I think they waited an extra four or five weeks to close on the house, mainly because appliances were slow coming wow. in. Right. So the whole supply chain. So why did the supply chain slow down? Part of it, is they put social distancing requirements in these different facilities. Yeah. And so their, their uh, production levels got minimized, right? They couldn't, they couldn't operate at hundred percent of production. So as demand started ramping up in the pandemic, <laughs> the restrictions didn't, didn't match. So they got further and further behind. Um, somebody said they bought some furniture and the reason it's delayed is because the foam that goes into the padding is on back order. Wow. Six months, 12 months, some things. So it's, it's just a crazy time. It, it uh, is. It is. You mentioned California specifically. I mean, I know so many people who have moved. I mean, I can't claim, you know, so that, I, that it's, it's pandemic or whatever, but it's interesting how many people I personally know who are moving away. And the, the names that I get come up uh, here from them is... Uh, Frisco, which is what hour from you? Oh, I, I live across the street from Frisco. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Frisco, Austin, and Nashville. You know, Nashville, Brentwood, Franklin. You know, back where I used to live. Uh, amazing. Yeah, how many people are leaving? It's 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 a weird thing. Well, so there you go on on real well, estate. Austin's yeah. weird. So Austin is still weird. Yeah, I can I can say that I got family there. Uh, well, hey Jessica Smith Moyer, one of the Ziegler Legacy Certified Coaches. She owns the Ice House, and they're in where are they? They're up in like Maine or Delaware. Delaware. Okay, there you go. The Ice House. It's a wellness uh, community. It's really cool 
old brick building that they converted into a you know fitness center in, in essence and she leads classes but she's also a Ziegler legacy certified coach and is doing you know, fitness coaching but really I think life coaching within that and so she says what is working in her business is personal connection doesn't surprise me at all. Talk about how to win friends and influence people. That's Jessica. Uh, she's, as a matter of fact, she just wrote a book. Um, it's on my shelf here somewhere behind me, but just wrote a book as well about her, her journey. Uh, they've got a significant story of a kid dying in, in infanthood, to, infanthood, toddlerhood. I can't remember. Was it past uh, within the first two years? Was it? Okay. So part of her story there. So but personal connection, man, she's a rock star at inspiring people. She attracts people well. So she says that's working. Her challenge competing with funnels for weight loss gimmicks by other area gyms. So when, when she talks about funnels, you see a lot of that, especially on online marketing sales funnels. But in essence, let's just, can we just boil it down and say, you know, sales tactics, tactics, promos by, uh, and gimmicks from other area gyms. Let's kind of go back to the, Hey, the uh, quality manicure place. And the one opens up across the street with the cheap prices. And there's so many crazy things happening with gyms. I've heard of them lately. I had a friend, and it was, a, it was like $5 a month. It's not, it was just a volume business. And he said it was so cheap. He says he never goes, but it's so cheap. He just couldn't get himself to cancel the thing. And that's what they're counting on. Uh, and so, you know, she's competing against that. And that is a very real issue, again, that we have to deal with is being out-marketed sometimes. And it's frustrating. Uh, my story there, Tom, is I'll never forget. And I won't name the guy, but it was a, a guy I did some consulting for their business, really big uh, bicycle parts manufacturer a long time ago. And he was an incredible inventor and they could come out with parts. So think about cycling, especially high end that were lighter weight, stronger, and he could sell them cheaper. I mean, it's the trifecta of business right there. It's beautiful, but he got really frustrated at being beat out in some sectors by some companies who just outmarketed him. And he saw that they had inferior products, felt like they had inferior products, and here they are, and they're beating him. And he got so irritated that he just, in essence, I, he said, I hate marketing. I hate marketing, which is really difficult to, to work with the guy as a marketer uh, when he, does, he, he loathes that. He knows it has to be done. But ultimately, I think it kept him from being a much larger competitor than he could have because of his bitterness about marketing. And that's a that's a threat for all of us in business when we get beat out. And I've, I, I get irritated. I don't like it. It doesn't bode well on our own character to badmouth the competition, uh, which is a note for everybody to take. Never, ever, ever badmouth your competition. Uh, and so many people who will just for that. And they'll downplay and say, man, they got bad service, bad product, bad whatever. And maybe they do. One, don't mouth off about it. But two, they're usually bitter because they're getting beat out for business by somebody who's doing better marketing, which again, just brings us back to, we have got to do that. So for Jessica, man, she has got to, so she is doing well, she's helping people, but she is going to have to ramp up further her marketing acumen and go back to what you said, Tom, make sure people know her why, make sure people understand what sets her apart. And, uh, that's a, again, great, great point. That one's close to home. It is, and, and it reminds me of a, uh, a dentist story that I just love. And, and this dentist, he's one of my uh, one of my friends in, over near Amsterdam. I think it's his, his father or father-in-law. And he said, you know, 
uh, he made a decision. He was never going to miss another school holiday with his kids. I remember you talking about that. Yeah. And so he went to his CPA accountant and said, look, I'm going to work fewer days this next year because when my kid's off, I'm off. I'm just not doing it. I'm not trading my life and my memories for what everybody says. So we need to get ready. And his accountant's like, you know what? I think this is going to be okay. Let's just wait and see. So he starts thinking creatively, uh, creatively, how can we make our practice different? And so over there, it was standard policy. If you had an appointment and you missed the appointment, you had to pay a hundred dollar fine, right? Well, he changed that. He didn't like that idea. It I, made him feel yeah. weird. Right? I, so I he, hate that too. I, yeah. So what he did is he said, you have to bring in your family's most secret private recipe and put it in our, our recipe book that all of our patients have access to. And so it was a relationship building and the people would feel bad and they would say, oh man, I can't believe this. I, you know, it just slipped my mind, whatever the excuse was. Well, the second time that they were, if they, if there was a second time they missed, then the rule was you can't come back until you cook that recipe and bring it to potluck Friday. That's and awesome. so he made his practice a community. And then he started scheduling his patients in waves and he had this, you would love this, this amazing coffee bar set up. And so if he was going to see, you know, five or six people at eight o'clock in the morning, they'd come in and he would have coffee with them before he started. And when somebody would look at their watch, like, when are we going to get started here? He would just look at them and say, you know, I don't think this practice is for you. And he had his best year that year. That's excellent. And so I think it's fine to, as we really share our heart and our why and what we do to help inspire people, what, what's different about us, it's fantastic for us to say, you know what, we're just not a fit for you. Yeah. Right? We're, we're just a little different. It's, it's, and guess what? If you have the wrong people, the price shoppers coming to your business, they refer price shoppers which are a pain in the neck that you can never make a price shopper happy. If you build your business around an experience and they know your why, and they know the little things that you do different and they say, wow, that's a lot for a hamburger, or I can't believe you're charging that much for a chicken taco or what's going on here. You just have to be bold and look them in the eye and say, you know, we take extra care in every part of our process and we're not for everybody. We understand. Yeah. And then what happens is the foodies or the people looking for a gym that isn't another place to work out, but it's a place where people like me go to grow in all areas of their life, they start referring those same kind of people. So it's a... I, well, you, he, he, he has his why and what sets him apart. And I like the example, Tom, because he didn't go and do what we often do. You know, if you're a plumber and we say, we're the best plumbers in the business, but he didn't do that and go say, we are the best dentists, best orthodontists. I mean, you just can't do that. It's just, it's not believable in this day and age. You can maybe claim a specialty, maybe in a, you know, one specific niche you can do, but it's still very difficult. And he didn't do that at all. He just provided a, a nuance in, in a sense that attracted the right people 
which is great. I've talked about the story here in my town of all the mechanics, and there's just one that'll wash your car. So you're going to go pay the same for them. They don't claim to be the best mechanics, but you're going to go and they're going to fix your alternator, you know, probably the same price, but they clean it. And you just come in and you feel like the quality is so much better because they just cleaned it. Tom, and here's, here's a really great example, folks. Don't miss this. This is kind of in that it's only, you know, I'm just doing my job aspect. So my wife had the front bumper of her car. You know, I, you don't even have to say bumper anymore. It's just the big conglomerate of what all the plastic carbon fiber junk in the front of her car. And some, one of the kids slid into a snow bank, it breaks the thing. And it's a $1,500 fix that if it had been in one of my trucks, it would have just done nothing with the big steel bumper in my van and my suburban, you know, but they did it in her car, 1500 bucks, take it to the local guy, local body shop. He's kind of got a monopoly. Uh, a good guy, nice guy. I believe, I, I believe, I think the prices are good. I trust him and stuff, but they put a new bumper on there. We go in, pay $1,500 for this thing. And they left the rest of the car completely mud splattered as it was when it came in. So it's got this brand new shiny front end and the rest of it's trash. And I just was, I just was blown away that seriously, this is a body shop. I mean, you're being paid to make my car aesthetically look right. Cause that's all it was. I had actually cut the bumper away. We could have driven it forever that way. We were only doing it for the aesthetics. And him not cluing into that with his business and taking 10 minutes to have some kid at minimum wage clean the car like this mechanic does, but even more so for a body shot, really blew me away. And I really need to care enough to talk to him and just say, look, man, this, this would, I would feel so much better about having paid you that and about wanting to come back and about wanting to refer people. I was just so surprised, seriously, to put that on there. Oh, so there, so for people to look at that, you know, what is your job? And we see that so often when you go in and people will fix the one thing they're paid to fix, even though they see these things wrong and to miss that. Your dad has us talk about that, about appreciating when he goes into like the mechanics and they go in there and he says, yeah, I think I need new tires for them to go. You know what? Your brakes are shot. That's a service. Of course they want to sell more, but if the brakes are shot, thank you for letting me know. So I didn't have to take my time to come in and do it again. Mess my rotors up. I'm grateful that you caught that early, man. And we don't, we don't teach that well enough in business. I don't think. No, it reminds me of Brian Buffini, uh, and his coaching and his real estate training mortgage, uh, just helping people do just a little bit more. Yeah. Well, the legend of that started with his father's business back in Ireland. You know, he said with being named Brian Buffini, we're all Italian, but we live in Ireland. <laughs> if we mess up, everybody knows we're the only Italians. <laughs> here and his dad had a uh, a bricklaying and sheetrock company and in between those two things is insulation and so they came up they were the first in their market to come up with the package hey they instead of bidding them separate they said we'll bid it all for free and or we'll, we'll bid all three as a package well what they ended up doing was having competitive prices on on the uh, sheetrock and on the you know the, the painting the finish out I guess it's painting finish out and brick competitive prices on that and then they threw the insulation in basically for free wow well what happened was is they started their business really started growing and he said why is it growing and it was because the buyer didn't like to have to manage 
four different providers insulations for free that's one provider bricks one sheetrocks one paint and finish is another and so what they were doing is they were looking at it from the customer side you know what is it that causes them angst then the second thing they told me because the the foundation of their business with painting interior painting is when they would get done painting they would change the light bulbs in the room and have the windows professionally washed because a paint job only looks as good as the light that's on it. Yeah. Wow. And they didn't tell their customer that. <laughs> they didn't the customer had no idea that they were doing this. And so they would walk into this room with fresh paint and you go, man, it looks amazing. Not realizing that the that the light bulbs are are shining bright and the windows are crystal clean. And that's why that's part of the feeling. That's so just smart. like what it's like washing the car. Yeah. Right? So why smart. wouldn't you? Uh, the dealer that I bought a number of cars from, if you bought your car from there, um, you could go there at any time and they'll take it through the car wash for you for free. Nice. Just part of their deal. Nice. So why do they want somebody with 15 extra minutes on their hand while they take your car to wash it on their lot? Why would they want that? I mean, what could happen in the sales process if you've got 15 extra minutes to spend on a car lot yeah. while your car's being washed. I mean, I have no idea what their ulterior motive was, yeah. but it was genius. I, it's, it's goodwill. I, I, again, I, I so often, not that I don't have the opportunity in my businesses, but it's so much easier to do in retail. So many fun things you can do. I've been tempted to go into retail just to play with those. I mean, I have restaurants, you know, similar to sushi places around the area and, you know, sushi's comparable, but the one just gives you the little cup of soup. It's probably a penny's worth and this little dinky salad. Well, but the other one doesn't. And I'm so prone to do that. You know, it's just goodwill. I'm a sucker for uh, goodwill. That's a great, that'd be a great shoot. That would be a great topic, Tom, to say, what do you do? You know what? We're going to do that. What do you do in your business to create goodwill? I don't know. Let's think about it. Maybe there's a better term about that, but as opposed to just trying to compete on price or even quality, because it's so difficult to do that in today's busy market. It's so hard to get people to believe that you actually are better, you know, provide a better product or better service. I mean, if I'm selling a coffee mug, if it holds water, I can't claim it's better and I can make it prettier or make it heat up, you know, obviously, but to say it is the best coffee mug on the planet. It's just hard to do that. Now, if you send it to me and it's full of chocolates the first time I buy it, goodwill. I like that. You know, that's my dad. I, I should throw that in there. I'd be remiss not to do that. So my dad, Dan Miller, 48days.com. If you go to 48days.com and purchase any physical product, uh, whether it's a book or, you know, I don't even know what all they have these days, but any physical product, you will get it in a box and you'll smell it before you open it. And it's full of these gourmet mints, uh, peppermints. They've been known for that. The amount of people who've taken a picture and posted it online and the mileage they've gotten out of those little, he buys them in these gargantuan bags and you know, pennies on the dollar. I mean, what a cheap thing. And I, I don't remember the story about how they started doing it, but they have gotten again, so much mileage out of that little goodwill factor. Yeah, let's do that. I'll figure out how to word that and look at what are people doing out there to not compete for price or even quality to do, to, to create goodwill. That'd be fun. 
Um, all right. Hey, let's, let's, we got a bunch there, but let's, let's I'll end on one more here. It's an interesting one. Stephen Cruson. He, his business, it's retina, retina, like your eye, retinarecovery.ca. We provide equipment for face down recovery after eye surgery for a retinal detachment or macular hole. Having, and so number, or so first what's succeeding, having been through the surgery myself, we provide hope. I'm able to share from my own experience. We focus on guiding our customers through the recovery. So they maximize their eyesight. We focus, and he said, pun intended on customer care throughout the entire process. Okay. So again, customer care. So that's going beyond saying we're the best, uh, necessarily they're not competing for price, but they're focused on customer care, giving the person a good experience. Talk about goodwill. Uh, but the biggest challenge is how to grow without sacrificing customer care and service. Man, Tom, I do understand that pain of really trying to be customer centric and to take care of them. And ultimately we could probably boil it down somewhat to just saying, that a lot of us have, even if we are doing marketing, we're doing advertising, we're doing promotion, we're getting people in the door, we're doing a good job, then you just deal with scale. And, and I'll say that for uh, Randy, Dr. James, uh, again, that in his practice, they've just done some restructuring of how, they, how the product is offered in these package deals and a, kind of a new marketing bent, and it's done well, it's succeeded. They have more patients on the schedule. And the problem is they got more patients on the schedule. And how do you make it scale? And if you know doctoring, that's one of the least scalable businesses that, that exists. Um, so that's another one, Tom, that I know you and Howard deal with a lot is providing a good service, getting business, but just struggling with scale, with growth. I love, uh, I heard this quote first, um, and it's a quote that Truett Cathy said at a pivoting a pivot in their business to Chick-fil-A. Uh, there was a massive push, I'll, I'll, I'll make it short, to scale the business, to uh, get some loans, to go out and buy a bunch of real estate so they could expand faster than they had traditionally. And he basically put a stop to it. And this is what he said, and this is very insightful. He said, our customers don't want us to be bigger. They want us to be better. Huh. And if we're better, then we'll get bigger. Isn't that interesting? And so, Stephen, right on. How do you maintain better while you get bigger? Yeah. And there's some things you can do, uh, but it's like, you know, a cruise ship, a big one used to be a couple hundred passengers. And then it was 500 and then it was a thousand and then it was, I don't know how big they get 5,000, but it's not infinite. I mean, could you imagine a cruise ship with 250,000 people on it? Yeah. I mean, a whole city would get off at a port. It doesn't work. You can't do it. And so there is always this, this battle between scale and better and, Gosh, you know, Amazon, that space has taken Google, that space has taken Apple, that space has taken what can we do to be different, to be better in the market that we serve? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And there are, you know, I, I do want to say to Stephen, I may even respond back to him, that with that focus on customer care, when I was involved with Churchill Mortgage a long time ago, my only one W-2 job uh, in my adulthood, at least, 
And when I was involved with them, that's what I was brought on to do is focus on customer service and make that the calling card. They're going to have the best experience of any home buying uh, they've ever done or, or even a refi that they would do that. And, but our statement to the customer was you are going to have one of the best business experiences you've ever had, period, much less in the real estate and lending industry. The way that we're able to do that is we focus on you and we're not spending our time out there marketing to the general public, to strangers. With that said, then we are taking care of you and relying on you to tell other people about us. And we did have a structured methodology of asking for their business uh, or asking for their referrals one and of keeping in touch with them long-term so that when they were ready to do something again, they would come back to us. And in a two year period of time, quadrupled the repeat and referral business. It actively worked, but it was a structured process uh, that uh, we built into the system. That was our sales marketing advertising was to that actual person that we were focused on for customer care. And there are a lot of new books, man. I, I will always be grateful though, for books that are probably 30, 40 years old, crowning the customer by Fergal Quinn uh, and raving fans by Ken Blanchard and what's the other guy? Sheldon Bowles. Um, there, uh, there, there's probably newer books, but man, those were some that I was so grateful to cut my teeth on. It was during that time that those were my, that was my education for how to walk that business out at the time. Um, man, good stuff. I'm just, I'm grateful for people sharing what's work and what's not. It, it fosters such great conversation. And yeah, it's interesting though, Tom, that's fun. I was sitting here writing some notes. I think uh, a couple shows from now we'll do one on, ideas for goodwill. We can even ask people, what are you doing or what's your business? And can we brainstorm some ideas of things to do that jump outside of competing for price, of course, but even outside of competing for quality, we don't think about that that often. We want to just tell how great we are, what our quality is. What can we do outside of that to create goodwill? That'd be fun. All right. Always learning, Tom. Thanks, brother. You're the best in the whole world. The host with the most. Thank you. I'll, I'll put, can greatest, I put the greatest podcast host in all the land? I should just start. I don't know. That's, is that competing for quality? I'll, I'm going to start using that for my branding. Thanks, Tom. Okay, friends, I trust this gave you some valuable insight into opportunities in a variety of business categories that you can apply to your business. Thanks again to everyone who shared. Coming up in episode 893, I'm back with Tommy Breedlove to talk about his habits for success in his life. Every guest I have on my podcast is here in great part because of their intentionality in life. But I must say, Tommy is one of the more intentional people I have ever known. This is one of the more robust habit shows. And for you guys, I also questioned him on some of the primary areas of struggle he sees amongst all his high-performing male executive clientele that he leads and walks with. The answers will surprise you, such as him saying that across the board, a primary struggle all the men he works with have are issues of self-confidence, self-esteem, self-respect, and self-love, even if they're worth hundreds of millions of dollars. That was the number two issue. Number one, well, you'll find that in the episode. Till then... Thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.